The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. And hello, friends. Hope that you're having a great week wherever you are. It is a rivalry week in college baseball for us. And so we're going to preview the upcoming series against the Ole Miss Rebels. You know, the Rebels have, uh, have struggled as of late. And let me go ahead and get this out of the gate right now. That means absolutely nothing. When the Maroon team is across the diamond in the other dugout, we know we're going to get their best effort. It is not in any way a confidence builder to know that those guys have been struggling a little bit. Maybe for our fans, but the reality of it is, is you just never know. You know, sometimes you need a quality opponent that you have an emotional investment in to kind of get you motivated. We've been there before. We have. Remember back in 2018, you know, we won that series against those guys and, um, you know, really kind of – Went on from there. It was a turning point in the season. You could argue that the sweep of Arkansas probably got that run going. But the reality of it is, is they were a better baseball team than us at that point in the season. We won the series. So we can't take anything for granted in any respects. Uh, listen, thank you guys so much for your support. I get messages all the time from you guys, and I, and I appreciate them. I do my best to respond to all of them. Sometimes life gets busy, and I can't always get back with you. But uh, it's not in any way intended in any disrespect. A, uh, a good ink therapy session yesterday, so we're in a good mood today. So it's been a while since I've uh, added some ink. And so we've done that. Hightailed it back to Starkville for last night's big win over Jackson State. I say it's a big win. It was big because of the fact that we played as well as we did. Still some things to kind of improve upon, to say the least. But I would much rather be the team that wins big in the midweek than loses big in the midweek going into – a big series. So uh, we're going to break that down, break down last night's game. We're going to look ahead uh, to the weekend, but also to look around the Southeastern Conference. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I'm probably going to see if I can't talk the kid into riding up there this evening to go have a meal together. Maybe I can get my college girls to join me. That's about the only time that I can get them is when I, I'm willing to buy dinner, you know, such is life, right? And uh, really excited too. Here on May 13th, Audrey Robertson, my oldest daughter, will graduate from Mississippi State and uh, have to get her Bulldog Club application right away. But uh, she will graduate as a computer engineer and go to work over there in the sunshine state of Florida. Excited for her, to say the least. It's one of those things, too, you think about in life. You know, when you have kids, you always wonder what they're going to become. And you just hope that they're successful. I'm excited to get her off the payroll. Not that she's a big drain, but nevertheless, it's always nice to be able to have them be a little more independent and self-sufficient. But when, uh, when Audrey 
was just a kid, you know, like uh, like all kids, you know, she wanted to be a professional wrestler and a dance instructor. Um, she used to call herself Awesome A. Like she she used to play the, the game with her older brother Ani. She'd play the uh, the video game, the WWE game, and she was always Awesome A. And she is incredibly awesome. That is stuck. She is still Awesome A. She just doesn't want to be a wrestler anymore. Yeah, maybe you know, life changes. You know, who knows? Maybe one day she'll decide I want to go be a professional wrestler. But uh, but that's it. Awfully awfully proud of her and uh, looking forward to that. You know, looking forward to going to commencement and watching my child be rewarded for her academic excellence and uh, pretty incredible. And then last week, too, for those of you that, did, that haven't heard, Mississippi State University finishes second nationally in the National Speech and Debate Tournament, the highest finish in school history, thanks in large part to my youngest daughter, Mia Robertson, who became the first student nationally to win four season-long national championships in four different categories for speech and debate. So pretty exciting stuff. She'll be back one more year. She could graduate this year, but she's going to go back one more year and uh, take about 14 hours of philosophy and then graduate with a degree in political science and philosophy and then go on law school and save the world. So excited about all of them. So maybe I can get them to break bread with me. You know, I'm just old dad now. What's funny is they didn't realize how cool their dad was until they went to college, right? Because you're just dad, right? You're just the guy that, you know, has the debit card and complains when you spend too much money at, at Strange Brew and things like that. And then they go to college and they find, oh, that's your dad? Oh, I know him. I follow your dad on Twitter. I listen to your dad's podcast. So if you know my girls, you know how wonderful they are and how proud I must be. So I wanted to share that. I, I do a lot of talking about other people's college students on this show. And so I wanted to talk about my own today. So I love my girls. I love everything about them. I love their passion for life. And I love the fact that they're so incredibly committed uh, to academics and things of that nature and, uh, and have had a, and had a great experience at Mississippi State. Bulldog Burger Company, back on track there. I hope to get out there this evening. And uh, I love going into Bulldog Burger Company. You will too, if you don't already. Many of you have already found this to be a family favorite. If you ask the kids, hey, where are we going to go? Where do you want to eat? Bulldog Burger Company is always going to be among the first, if not the first, suggestion from the young people. A great menu with a lot of selection there. Of course, you go there for the hamburgers, but you know maybe if you want, don't want to eat quite as heavy, you can have a great salad. I like the BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may like it fried. No matter how you like it, you're going to love the way they do it. They build a burger company. It's more than just burgers, but, man, they specialize in some great restaurant-quality hamburgers. Be sure and find your own favorite. Uh, Bulldog Burger Company, three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in the Ridgewood Flowwood, central Mississippi area. Go by and check them out today. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, before we break down last night's win of an intercollegiate baseball game with Jackson State University, let me share with you guys, too. You know, Bulldogs are on the road, and maybe you don't want to go to Oxford this weekend. I don't blame you. Matter of fact, Friday night, I'll be at the Hobie's downtown for a watch party. We'll sign some books. We'll watch the Bulldogs beat the Rebels together. But uh, maybe you're saying, hey, you know, we've gotten in the habit of going to Starkville. Let me encourage you. Your women's softball team, big weekend ahead for them. Huge weekend. I traded some texts earlier this week with Tyler Bratton. I don't know if you guys have kind of kept up. Uh, the softball team, 27-17 and 17 overall and 7-8 and eight in the conference. You remember last year it took us forever and a day to win 
an SEC game. We finally got an SEC dub. We're 22-6 and six at home, and we've got a huge series this weekend against nationally ranked Auburn. Let me encourage you to turn out. If you're in town, go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. What's interesting, too, about the um, – you know, about this Auburn series is that uh, it's again it's an athlete ranked team that'll help us in the RPI there. Auburn softball has been very good. So Friday at 5:30 p.m., Saturday at four, and then Starkville uh, noon. Excuse me, Sunday at noon. Starkville. It's always in Starkville. Uh, admission is free. Go by and check them out. I believe it's correct. I believe it's still free to go to the ball game there. And uh, the ladies could certainly use the support. And uh, you may not have kind of kept up this year. Let me run down a couple things for you, too. We go get a win against Florida. We lose the series at Florida, but we go get a big RPI boost there against the Gators. And then we sweep Ole Miss. And that's kind of the natural order of things, right? I mean, that's kind of been their sport here as of late. We are able to get that. We get a win in Knoxville. Again, didn't win the series, but a nice RPI boost there. We take the series against Mizzou. We fight, scratch, and claw. Lose two one-run games last weekend. Uh, to, our, to Alabama, one of the best teams in the country. Had a chance to have some a historic weekend. Didn't quite get it done. A 2-1 to one walk-off win last night, thanks to Mia Davidson. But uh, we'll get UT Martin tonight, and then we get Auburn. So go by and check them out. If you're in the area and you're looking for something to do, maybe go out to News Park and root for the softball Bulldogs. Best of luck to Coach Samantha Ricketts, Tyler Brad, and everybody involved with Mississippi State softball. It's been a good year. Got a chance to be a historic year in many respects. A lot of people wondered, you know, we hired Sam Ricketts. Like, hey, you know, I don't know. Now we do. Now we do. All right, Mississippi State baseball now 22-16 and 16 overall and 6-9 and nine in the conference and uh, needing a winning weekend against the Rebels. Uh, we'll get to that. So before we do, though, let's break down what happened last night at Jackson State. A lot of offense for your Diamond Dogs. And uh, didn't really pitch a lot of guys that um, – have seen some action here as of late. You know, some guys kind of got an opportunity to go out there and pitch. And uh, we limit Jackson State to two runs on three hits. And considering that we weren't, you know, pitching, frontline pitching, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And listen, Jackson State, not the team they were a year ago, but the 18 and 19. But anytime you go play a Division One team and hold them at three hits, especially in a midweek game, you've done a pretty good job pitching. All right, so let's run it down here. So Jack Walker gets a start for the Bulldogs. It starts out really good. We get back-to-back ground outs. Melton grounds out, Rhodes grounds out, and you think, okay, let's get out of here quick, get in the inning with a one, two, three. Well, we, we have a lengthy at-bat there, walk. Another lengthy at-bat, walk. So we couldn't finish hitters, so all of a sudden you start thinking we're in trouble. And then we get a ground ball and we get out of it. So three ground balls in the inning, two walks, kind of pitch around the trouble there. And Jack's the guy that hadn't pitched since we played at Arkansas and had a really good outing against Arkansas. He said he's really struggled at times to throw his breaking ball for a strike, and when you can't do that, you can't keep people off your fastball. Being able to land your breaking ball for a strike is kind of the keys to the kingdom. Pretty simple. He did a better job of that last night. Bottom of first, Jaeger flies out to right, Cam James, and hits a tank to left field on a 2-0 count. Gives State a one nothing lead. Hancock flies out to left. And then Aaron Downs, who uh, was the designated hitter last night, in place of Logan Tanner giving Logan a day off. We've got a pretty busy stretch here. Probably good to keep him fresh. But uh, Aaron's a guy, too, we expect some big things from. As a young nucleus of this team, there are some young players. You're Kate Smith, Hunter Hines, Aaron Downs. Those guys are going to be kind of the heroes of the future. All right, top of second, Walker back out on the hill. 
We get a fly out to center from Atterbury. We get Evans singles, one of their few hits. Then there is a fielder's choice, unable to turn it up a play with that speed coming down uh, the line there with Rodriguez. The Gomez then walks, and we get a line out to second base. So, again, two runners on for Jackson State. We're able to kind of evade any traffic there around third and home. So, no runs, just the one hit. So, bottom of second, State goes to work here and really, in many respects, puts the game out of play right here already. I mean, it's, at this point, we kind of know who's going to win. Hunter Hines with a double of the first pitch that he sees in the right center. Good to kind of get him going. Especially one of these Mississippi guys right before we get ready to play Ole Miss, right? Then Slade offered singles to the right side. Hines goes to third. So, again, this young nucleus of guys, right? Kellen Clark then walks to load the bases, and you think, okay, we're fixing to blow it open right here. Brad Combust with a fly out to center field just missed the grand slam there. I mean, just kind of mishit it a little bit. But we're able to get an RBI sack fly there. Makes it a 2 nothing game. Tanner Leggett with an infield hit chases home another run and make it 3 nothing. Wild pitch sends both runners up a base. Now you've got, again, two in scoring position here. And R.J. Yeager, who had a really nice ball game for the Bulldogs, Doubles down the left field line. Leggett and Clark both score to make it 5 nothing. Cam James flies out down the left field line. Hit it pretty well. Just n- not quite as well as the one before we went for a home run. Uh, Jaeger then takes third on the balk, and Luke Hancock walks. And the final pitch, this is a wild sequence here. They believe that it was ball four the previous pitch, and then the umpire didn't really make a call there. And in the middle of all of this, um, there's just some confusion. And so it's like, okay, well, Jaeger takes third. Well, then they find out later that they had actually had called a balk there. And so we end up getting, you know, the walk here on the wild pitch, and Jaeger comes in to score, make it 6 nothing. They bring in Galatis, uh, who is one of their weekend guys, and it seems like we have faced him every year for like a decade. You know, a guy has done a good job for Jackson State. Uh, he gets Aaron Downs to strike out looking to end the inning. But it's now a 6 nothing ball game after two complete. Walker back out for the top of third. Rhodes gives up, you know, singles back up the middle here. And then we do a pretty good job here. We get a pop out to short. And then another lengthy at bat. We can't finish the hitter, and they walk. So now against Furnish at first and second. We roll up a double play ball and get out of it. And that ends Jack Walker's night. Now, not a great night. But, you know, the, the whole point of pitching is to prevent scoring. So he gets through three scoreless innings, but has the four walks there. Gives up two hits, allows four walks, uh, didn't strike out anybody. And so, again, a good open here for him, but not you know, not a great night, maybe statistically. Got to find a way to keep those guys off the base. Those walks, those numbers have got to come down. Control is an issue. It's a younger guy. But in these remaining midweek games, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Walker didn't, didn't start all of them. you got three midweek games left. You know, next week you, you play Ole Miss and Pearl. You've got Sanford at Birmingham. And then you've got uh, North Alabama here. Probably see him. Probably see a similar pitching strategy where Walker is the opener. Gets you through the order one time, and then you see how things go. All right, bottom of third. State goes one, two, three. Hunter Hines flies out to right field, offered walks, and then Kellen Clark grounds into double play, and even that was hit really hard. All right, top of four, the return of Andrew Walling. You know, he was the guy that, you know, this time last year, I was hearing some chatter that of all the four guys that we were worried about with the MLB draft, he was the most likely to come to school because he wanted to be a starter, didn't want to be drafted as a reliever, and he's come here and he has been 
basically absent. He's pitched just twice. And a big problem with that is his, he walks a lot of people. Very first guy he faces is Atterbury, walks him. Well, then we get a ground out back to the pitcher. Runner takes second. We do get the run at first. And Rodriguez grounds out to short. We make the play at first. Atterbury goes to third. And then we walk a guy. So now all of a sudden there's runners at first and third with two outs. But we get the ground ball there um, to get the second out. That's the third out. Excuse me. I've gotten I've gotten confused here. Gomez goes to second on a fielder's choice. There is basically um, I'm an error in my notes here. All right, and then Melton strikes out looking. So there, that explains. I confused myself. Uh, but we, again, we, we give some guys some room to operate here. But uh, you know, we, we get out of it unscathed. I just don't like flirting with danger. It's like if you look at the first four innings of this ball game. There were two runners on base every single inning. We, now, we didn't give up anything, but that's just kind of – you're just playing with fire there. I don't care if it is a midweek game against a swag school. You want to go out there and execute at a high level. Bottom of four, they make another pitching change, and then Cumbus walks. Uh, Leggett tees one out but lines out to third. The ball was hit so hard, Cumbus barely even got a step off the bag. And then Cumbus still second. Jaeger flies out to left, and then Cam James, who had a nice ball game again, comes through with a – Double to left center, Cumbus scores. That's three at-bats for Cam in the ball game, and he absolutely tattooed the ball all three times. Cam goes to third on the balk, and then Hancock singles down the line and right, chases in another run, makes it an 8 nothing ball game. Luke eventually ends up at second on a wild pitch, and then Downs flies out to right field. Got ahead 2-0 in the count, just couldn't come through with the big hit there. All right, top of five. Lane Forsythe to pitch his second time. And what I've learned about Lane is the first hitter or two – it's a bit of an adventure, and then he kind of settles in, and that's just going to get better in time. And he's probably a guy we're going to need to help us on the weekend at some point. He uh, opens up with a walk, a five-pitch walk, and then gives up a home run. So now all of a sudden Jackson State's on the board with two runs, 8-2. And then from here, Lane did a really nice job. You get a strikeout looking at Riley. Williams flies out to right field, and then Atterbury grounds out to short. So you say, yeah, well, we finished one, two, three, but we gave up a couple runs there. So, again – Five straight innings and two guys reach base for Jackson State. It's an 8-2 ball game. State removes all doubt here in the fifth. Uh, Hunter Hines opens up with a walk, and it's good to see him be patient at the plate. Then they walk, Slate offered, a lengthy bat here. And again, kind of the rally starters here are the young guys. Kellum Clark singles through the right side, load the bases. Jess Davis pinch hitting, flies out to deep center field. Not a big home run hitter. But uh, it's good to see Jess uh, get an opportunity to swing a little bit. Uh, Hines tags and scores to make it 9-2. Leggett then grounds out the second, um, which loads the bases. See, he grounds out the second, which both runners move up in a scoring position. And then we walk Jaeger. They walk Jaeger to load the bases. And, uh, you know, Jaeger's the guy, too. They got down in the count 0-2 and then worked it back and worked it back. They couldn't finish him. And then Cam James comes in again, doubles down the left field line, two more RBI to make it 11-2. Hancock gets in on a throwing error, and James and Jaeger both score. It is now a 13-2 ball game. Von Siebert comes in to pitch hit for downs, and Kay's looking on a full count. There is some of that, too, with Von, and I don't know if it's just uh, pitch recognition for a younger guy here, but we do strike out looking a little too much. And, again, he's a freshman, but a guy, too, that we expect some, some solid play from here in the years to come. He's had some big base hits for State this year, too. All right, top of six, 
Mikey Tepper comes on a pitch for Mississippi State. This is we start really kind of substituting liberally on defense. You get a line out to Evans, and then we walk Rodriguez, and we get back-to-back punchies on uh, Gomez and Melton. So, again, traffic on the bases, you know, not getting the one, two, three inning. And, again, I understand the quality of competition. we got to get out there and be strike throwers. All right, bottom of six, State continues to tack on here. Uh, Hines grounds out to second. Mesh then walks and quarter walks, and then Davis walks. Leggett strikes out swinging, so you're thinking, we're going to load the bases and get nothing out of it. RJ's like, no fam, I got you. Grand slam on the very first pitch. Right off the bat, we knew it was gone. It's just a matter of how far it was going to carry. Makes it a 17-2 ball game. Uh, Braylon Skinner comes in and pitch hits for, for Cam and then strikes out uh, swinging. So 17-2, and uh, we bring in Fristo to get a little work here. We walk the first guy we see. We get a strikeout swinging, and then it's a ground ball double play. Uh, back to the pitcher who throws the six, and then on to first at Hunter Hines. And that's the ball game. Ten run rule, 17-2. We were informed pretty early on that it was going to be, you know, a ten run rule was in effect, already agreed upon by both teams. And it was really just a matter of uh, how quickly State could get there. And to be fair, this ball game could have been a whole lot worse than it was. We didn't throw a lot of guys that were expecting big innings from on the weekend, and we began to really kind of put some guys in there to get some A-Bs once again. The game had been uh, pretty much blown out here. So we're going to give our uh, our Prime Shrimp Player of the Game Award to Cameron James. Cam James, three for four on the night, uh, four RBIs, three runs scored. Uh, could have basically be Jackson State by himself with his own just his stat line there. Cam is really beginning to come into his own. Cameron James, too, that nice home run there. And we talked about his numbers being down, and I asked, uh, you know, he's hitting 336. His power numbers hadn't been there. He's been using more fields, and all of a sudden, like, uh, I asked Lamontis about it, and he goes, you know, I want him pulling the baseball. I want him being that power guy. And him hitting in that two-hole spot, I think he has learned a lot this year about himself and about how teams are going to attack him. But you let Cam get going – it's going to be awfully difficult for the opponents because you've got some guys behind them. And, and it, here's the thing, too. It's, it's almost impossible to have a game where all the horses are pulling. You understand what I'm saying? It just, it just didn't always happen that way. But uh, last night, a lot of your Bulldog regulars with big ball games, uh, Cam James, of course, uh, led the pack and uh, really kind of filled up the stat column. They're really proud of Cameron James. So let's get back to our good friends at Prime Shrimp. Uh, PrimeShrimp.com, that's the way to go. There are so many times in life, you know, when I move up here from South Louisiana, I've heard some people say, hey, they have good seafood here, and I'm going to be nice to you when I say they've got adequate seafood in many places in North Mississippi. I don't know if they have great seafood anywhere. And so I had a chance to partner with these fine folks out of New Orleans at primeshrimp.com, and next thing you know, I'm getting quality shrimp delivered right to my door. It's well-packaged. It'll survive the day, even in the Mississippi heat. If it has to sit outside, it's not a big deal. But the best part about it, is there is no long-term preparation. You know, a lot of times if you go down to some places and you buy shrimp, you got to peel them, you got to detail them, you got to devein them. There's just a lot of preparation to have high-quality shrimp. Well, these guys have done that work for you. So you boil a pot of water. Ten minutes later, you drop in the, uh, the shrimp. You just open up that trusty little pouch, those pre-prepared, pre-seasoned shrimp. Let them boil for ten minutes. Boom, you've got yourself some high-quality shrimp. Whether you're going to serve them over a bed of maybe perhaps fettuccine noodles or even on a salad, 
PrimeShrimp.com is the way to go. Four great flavors. I think my favorite one right now is the French Quarter Alfredo. I do like that Louisiana Shrimp Bowl, too. But go check them out today, PrimeShrimp.com, and use promo code BONEYARD to save a few bucks on your order. Uh, always money-back guarantee, and orders over four pounds ship for free. And trust me, you're going to want to fill the freezer up with these. A lot of positive reviews. You're going to be glad you partnered with PrimeShrimp.com. All right, let's take a quick look at the numbers. We mentioned uh, a couple guys getting multi-hit. Let's face it, friends. We live in uncertain times. Security, probably more important now than ever before. That's why it's important to keep you, your family, your property safe by working with my friends at Eufy. That's E-U-F-Y.com. Let me tell you a little bit about this new video smart lock they have. It's super cool because basically you get a three-in-one security system here. You can have everything on just one device instead of having it outside of your house look rather tacky because you got all kinds of stuff out there. It's not just about your security, but convenience. No more concerns about losing keys. You can assign passwords to your family members, and you can see who's kind of coming and going. you got that immigrated camera, too. Uh, it's easy to install. You can set it up with just a Phillips screwdriver. You know, you don't have to go to a class on how to use power tools. No drilling required. You get keyless entry. You don't have to worry about fumbling with the keys when you're getting back with a, an armful of groceries, right? How convenient is that? That in and of itself is a great benefit. You get fingerprint recognition. It's unlocking. You got that AI self-learning chip. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You don't have to worry about the battery. It's got a rechargeable battery that can last around four months. And you get a notification before it runs out, so you don't have to compromise your family security. You got passcode unlocking, remote control, 2K clear sight camera. You can see who's at your door. You see these videos online all the time. Don't you think it's time for you to set something up so you can have the peace of mind of knowing that you don't have people constantly going in and out of your property? There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee, you can have your recordings locally and never have to pay for storage. How cool is that? It's convenient, it's safe, it's a must-have for your home today. If you already have like a video doorbell, you know sometimes people want to come and steal your, your doorbell. You don't have to worry about with, that with this. All right, so let's be sure to visit Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y official.com forward slash video lock. And it's time for you to gain control of your door. Again, that's Eufy. E-U-F-Y. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step -step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com 
forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Games R.J. Yeager, a two for four night with six ribbies, six ribeye steaks for R.J. We've talked a little bit about this. It's like people say, well, do we think we want to flip Cam and R.J.? No, no. We have struggled all year to find a consistent leadoff hitter. We finally have that. And then you've got the guy behind him with the highest batting average on the team. Okay, we've got that figured out. Let's just kind of leave that as it is. And I know everybody's like all baseball people. I mean, you, we wouldn't be baseball nerds if we weren't always coming up with, uh, you know, lineup alternatives. But I think this lineup is really beginning to settle. And now that we have a very formidable one-two punch at the top of this order, let's just kind of leave it where it is. Uh, Luke Hancock, one for three on the night with an RBI. Aaron Downs went hitless on the night. Not worried about him at all. I, I think he is going to be a star for us. You look at him, he just looks like a ball player. And got that big bunt down the other day, too, against Auburn. Uh, Hunter Hines, a one for three night. Scores a pair of runs, though. Uh, got on courtesy of a walk as well. Slate off for just a one for one, but worked a couple of ribbing, a couple of walks there and scored a couple of runs. And how important is it? Hunter Hines in the five spots, so it offered in the six. Because now all of a sudden you start getting these guys on. Well, it gives, you know, Kellum Clark and Brad Cumbus an opportunity to drive runs in. So I like it. I like the way that this, this lineup is beginning to function. Kellum Clark one for two on the night also, too, with a, a walk, but a hit and a couple runs scored. Uh, Brad Cumbus goes 0 for 0 on the night. Scores the one run and has an RBI. Got on courtesy of a walk. Tanner Leggett, one for four on the night. Uh, had an RBI to his credit and this one strikeout. And Bulldogs did a good job last night of not really swinging at bad pitches. And, and it's hard to – they start with a soft toss and lefty. You know, we've been through this before in these midweek games. But uh, despite the fact that you had so many guys go to play, you only had five strikeouts. And we only left three on base. Very efficient in what we did. You know, I thought we kind of maximized the majority of our, our offensive opportunities last night. Feel really good about you know, kind of where the offense is right now. Uh, Jack Walker, three innings pitch, two hits, four walks, no Ks, no runs allowed. Uh, five ground outs, and I think that's big too. Of the ten guys, I guess technically it's nine guys, the nine guys that he got out, five of them were ground outs. And that's when things are going good. Things are going good, you know, when you're getting ground outs, getting soft contact. So, good effort. Andrew Walling, one inning pitched, two walks, the 1K. Um, you know, we got it. Again, control is the issue with kind of both of these guys. Lane Forsythe has a tendency early in his appearances to lead the ball up, and he has given up two, two home runs. Give up the solo shot in his first appearance and a two-run shot here. And just go ahead and prepare. At some point, we're going to need Lane to get outs for us on a weekend. Uh, Mikey Tepper, really nice inning for him with the one blemish being the one walk there. Works one inning, no hits, no runs, the one walk, two Ks, uh, very efficient, just 13 pitches for him. Jackson Fristo, uh, he goes out there, and, and you've got to get him right. I mean, we're going to need Jackson Fristo. We know the guy has talent. We, we absolutely know that he does. And uh, a lot of people really pulling for Jackson Fristo, for sure. One inning pitch, no hits, no runs. The one walk, it's a strikeout, and, of course, rolls up a big uh, – Double play there to end it. So 117 pitches thrown by the Mississippi State staff here uh, in just seven innings. And uh, on the contrast to that, Jackson State, 153 pitches thrown. They allowed 10 hits, 17 runs, 15 of them earned. They walked 10, and Bulldogs struck out this five times. Uh, three wild pitches, two balks in the game.
And yeah, listen, you always expect to win this game. You do. And it's not really about the opponent. You know, we always talk about, well, you know, it's never about them. It's about us. It's about us. It's about us kind of selling the lineup, selling the defense, and then, two, getting through the midweek game with a victory without having to go use a weekend arm. Extremely important. So, again, we take care of business. You know, if we had won that game 8-3, to three, we'd feel good about the win. You win that ball game 17-2, to you feel even better about the win. You know, save one pitch up, it's a shutout ball game. But um, when you're pitching a lot of the guys that we are in the midweek, you're going to have some of that. You know, you're going to have some walks. You're going to have some balls that get lifted up in the zone. Uh, the difference is, is you expect a team like Mississippi State to score more than enough runs not to have to worry with all that. And we didn't. So now it'll be a good day at practice. We'll get on the bus. We'll go over to Oxford, and we'll get ready to take on the arch rivals. We'll talk about them a little bit later in the show. But now let's talk about today's top ten list. Brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com, CloseWithBlair.com. Blair, Blair can get your long clothes. If nobody else can, chances are Blair can. Yeah, there are some unfortunates that are just in a really bad situation. But here's the deal. There are a lot of people that thought they were a hopeless case, and Blair was able to help them. That's what you get when you work with a mortgage professional. There's a lot of people out there in the lending business that want your business. But not everybody knows the nuance of the game, is able to go talk to that underwriter and kind of plead your case for you. You need an advocate. You need a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler. And here's the deal, too. Uh, if you're looking to refinance your home, Blair's your guy. A lot of people ran up car, credit card debt. Blair tells me about 35% of people are basically living paycheck to paycheck now because they have overextended themselves with credit card. So rather than keep making the minimum payment and kind of prolonging your own misery with all this revolving debt, let's consolidate it down to one, one manageable monthly payment, and you can do that by using the equity in your home. Many of you are thinking, you know what, Steve, it would be so nice to be able just to occasionally, just every once in a while, be able to take a breath and not have to constantly worry about going to use my debit card um, you know, day before payday and, and having to hold my breath hoping it's going to work out. You, know, you, you don't have to live that way. So get with our friend Blair Chandler, and, and maybe you're looking to buy a house for the first time. He can get all that take, taken care of for you. This guy's been in the business 21 years, top 1% close ratio in the country, works for Fairway Mortgage. It's not some, some prime lender. This is a company that's been in business forever and a day, recently voted number one in customer satisfaction. Reach out to Blair at 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. And maybe you thought, you know, you hadn't thought about refinancing. Maybe you're just so caught up in the grind. You think, well, this is just kind of my life now. It doesn't have to be. Improve the quality of your life and maybe put some money in your savings. Find a way to maybe improve the quality of your life by getting your equity to work for you. Again, that's closewithblair.com. All right. I am not a big fan of the Grammys. I used to be. You know, if you know, the Grammys were actually named after the gramophone. They were the gramophone awards, and they became the Grammys. And it's kind of become a bit of a fraud here in recent years. They don't recognize the rock categories on the air, which I think is a complete joke. So we're going to do some of that today. So I looked back at all of the songs that have won the Grammy for top rock song. And not all of them are rock, so they didn't make my list. You know, my definition of rock is much different than, say, the Grammy Committee. It's a much different deal. So they have been giving the rock song Grammy since 1992. The first winner, so let me, let me give you the nominees, okay? Chris DeGarmo and Queensryche with Silent Lucidity, which I think should have won. That was 
That was one of the nominees. I love Queensryche. I love the Operation Mindcrime album. I love the Empire album. I love them all. But Chris DeGarma wrote that great song, Silent Lucidity, about his, his son who woke up from a dream and thought it was real and was inspired to write this amazing song. One of the best songs of my lifetime. It is beautiful. But Silent Lucidity from Queensryche and Learning to Fly from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Inner Sandman from Metallica, Been Caught Stealing from Jane's Addiction, Can't Stop This Thing We Started from Brian Adams, all very, very good songs. Well, they gave the, the Grammy to, the, uh, to Sting. The Soul Cages. Nothing against Sting. It's just not rock. It's crazy. So, 93. <laughs> this is another one. This is another crazy one. And again, no disrespect to the winner. Uh, Bruce Springsteen nominated with Human Touch. I don't think that Brooke is kind of modern rock, but I, I get it. Jeremy from Pearl Jam. Smells Like Teen Spirit from Nirvana. Digging in the Dirt from Peter Gabriel. And then Eric Clapton won with the unplugged version of Layla, which is a beautiful song. I just don't think that version would be considered rock. But maybe we're in disagreement here. And that's okay. That's okay. Um, there is one I want to throw an honorable mention out to one, a song that I probably should have put on here. Sometimes I try to be too cool. Uh, Soul Asylum's Runaway Train won the Grammy in 94. And it was a great, great, great group of nominees. I'd do anything for love, meatloaf, but I won't do that. Are You Gonna Go My Way from the King, Lenny Kravitz, Living on the Edge from Aerosmith, and Crying from Aerosmith, and then Runaway Train from Soul Asylum wins that year. So tip of the cap to Dave Perner, who was an underappreciated and under-respected songwriter. All right, so here we go. Top 10 Grammy-winning rock songs, in my opinion, and here's how I stack them up. You may disagree, and that's okay, completely okay. All right, so number 10 for me is uh, from 1998. Let's take a quick look at the, uh, the nominees that year. It was uh, uh, The Difference from the Wallflowers, Crash Into Me from Dave Matthews Band, Ugh. Meredith Brooks, The B Word Song, which is incredible. The, my pick for this, if I was picking, would have been Criminal from Fiona Apple. I love her. I love that song. But the winner that year is your number 10 song. It's One Headlight from the Wallflowers. And how about the Wallflowers and Jacob Dylan having two Grammy-nominated songs in the same year. Pretty incredible. Uh, number nine for me is a 1999 winner. This year, it's kind of a weird time in music. Music was really beginning to kind of transition here. So here are your nominees. It's uh, Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve, and it's okay. Closing Time by Semisonic, it's okay. Celebrity Skin by Hole, uh. Have a Little Faith in Me by John Hyatt. That's a really good one. But I thought the winner was right this year. And I'm not a big Alanis Morissette fan, but I went with this one. It's Uninvited. Uninvited from Alanis Morissette. That's your number nine song today. Number eight, going back to 2002. Again, music is a little bit in transition here. So U2 had two songs nominated, Walk On and Elevation, neither one. Yellow by Coldplay also nominated, and that was probably the popular pick. Aerosmith nominated for Jaded. The winner is uh, Drops of Jupiter from Train. I know it's not the hard rock you expect from me, but I feel it's a, probably a really good song. So that's your number eight song, Drops of Jupiter from Train. Number seven, they we're going back in 2020, more recent here. I saw this guy open for the Foo Fighters in the FedEx Forum. I was blown away. I had heard about this guy, watching him play live in the Forum. Incredible. The nominees that year, they expanded the list of nominees. 
this year. Um, History repeats from Brittany Howard was nominated. Harmony Hall from Vampire Weekend, kind of an underappreciated alt-rock band, really good. Give Yourself a Try, the 1975. The the band that I think should have won it was uh, Fair Inoculum from Tool. That's an incredible song and album. It's so good to have those guys back. But the winner was This Land from Gary Clark Jr. Gary Clark Jr., a modern-day blues man. Absolutely love Gary's style. All right, number six, 2015, your 2015 winner. The nominees that year, uh, Jack White's uh, Lazaretto, Black Beck, Beck, Blue Moon, uh, The Black Keys, Fever, and then Ryan Adams, Give Me Something Good. Well, I went with one of Mississippi's own very proud of this young lady, a beautiful singer, a beautiful artist, and just a beautiful person all the way around. Uh, from the group Paramore, it's Meridian, Mississippi's own Haley Williams. Ain't it fun? I dig Paramore. I think Haley Williams is phenomenal. And I don't know why she's not an absolute superstar. Uh, she, she is an incredible vocalist. So uh, if you know her, hit me up. I'd love to meet her. Uh, number five, going back to 2004, and this is a song that we actually play at Duty Noble Field. I kind of get tired of it sometimes, but in other times I, I find myself kind of getting onto it here. But uh, I didn't think it should have won that year. It did win. I didn't like it, and I still don't like it. And I'm going to say it again. I don't think that this song should have won. But here are the nominees. Calling All Angels from Train. They shouldn't have won either. Disorder in This House. That's the Bruce Springsteen and Warren Zevon. Uh, Someday from Nickelback. Honestly, probably should have won. And you go, Steve Nickelback, stop being the little hipster dude. Nickelback rocked, and especially back in the early 2000s, you had all the right reasons CD in your changer. You know you did. Uh, The album and the song that I thought should have won was Bring Me to Life by Evanescence. Uh, Ben Moody is a lyrical genius. Amy Lou, Amy Lee, oh goodness, Amy Lou, yeah, because she's from Arkansas, believe it or not. Who knew we had this gothic beauty with this angelic voice? growing up in the backwoods of Arkansas. Yeah, they should have won that year. But the winner was the White Stripes with Seven Nation Army. Like the song, it's not nearly as good as Bring Me to Life. Uh, really, anything that Amy Lee did with Ben Moody was incredible. I wish those two would reunite. don't think it ever happened. So your number five song from the White Stripes, Seven Nation Army. Uh, number four, this is a band that's going to make their top ten debut today. I believe that's correct. So we're 2010. And it seems like this song was just out yesterday, and like everybody in the world is saying this song. But here were the nominees that year. I'll Go Crazy If I Don't Go Crazy Tonight. That's from U2. Uh, Working on a Dream by Bruce Springsteen. The Fixer from Pearl Jam, who I thought should have won that year, but I can't really hate on the winner. And the 21 Guns from Green Day. Thankfully, they didn't win. Uh, but the, the winner that year was Kings of Leon's Use Somebody, which is a phenomenal song. And... Um, Again, I felt like the fixer probably should have done it, but that's probably my, my early 90s nostalgia kind of creeping up there. But number four, Kings of Leon, you, somebody. Number three, the 2012 winner. Again, some great nominees that year. Uh, Lotus Flower from Radiohead. Not a big Radiohead fan either. I feel like they were kind of forced on us. They didn't have the substance to really maintain. Uh, Down by the Water from the, the Decemberist. I know a lot of people really dug them when they first came out. Uh, Blair will love this to hear one of his favorite bands get a mention they will not get a top 10 list, though. Uh, it's The Cave from Mumford & Sons. And then Every Teardrop is a Waterfall from Coldplay. I thought this was a runaway winner, and I thought it was a very easy selection by the committee, but you never know what they're going to do. It's Walk from the Foo Fighters. Foo Fighters, Walk, that's your number three song. Number two, 
going back to turn of the century, the 2001 year, and again, this was a great year in music. Yeah, music was in transition, and, and sometimes we forget. You know, we had all these weird bands kind of rising to prominence, and we just didn't know. This year's nominees for Best Rock Song with the Grammys, absolutely aces. I could have gotten behind any of these songs winning, and maybe we should do a 2001 Top Ten list one day. But it's Californication from Red Hot Chili Peppers, phenomenal. Bent by Matchbox 20, which is probably my favorite Matchbox 20 song. Uh, the song, again, by Lenny Kravitz, an incredible song, an incredible video. And then Kryptonite from Mississippi's own Three Doors Down. Could you, could, could you not have been happy with any of those? Well, it's Creed that won that year with Arms Wide Open, which is a beautiful song that uh, Scott Staff and Mark Tremonti wrote. And that's when Creed kind of ruled the world, too. Uh, but the number one song, in my estimation, the number one Grammy rock song of all time and i didn't include a lot of these bands that i thought were like adult contemporary but the nominees this year in 2000 uh, i thought this was a very very easy selection here it's the promise and bruce springsteen room at the top from tom petty and the heartbreakers special from garbage angels would fall with melissa etheridge and uh you know it's kind of like these it's just a it's an incredible accomplishment to be nominated because in my mind there was no doubt who was going to win and it's the Red Hot Chili Peppers with Scar Tissue, the number one rock Grammy song of all time. But the number one Grammy award-winning rock song of all time is Scar Tissue from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You may disagree. That's fine. You can start your own show and have your own list. Uh, but that's my top ten list, and your list would likely be wrong. Uh, but, again, it's a lot of fun doing these lists, and I appreciate everybody's ideas and suggestions. Uh, sometimes we get a lot of repeats, and some people reach out and say, hey, Steve, what about this, what about that? We've already done them. You can find many of these lists on Roy's Spotify. That's at Dogmatic67. That's D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. And if you're an Apple Music user like me, uh, Izzy Mandelbaum puts those lists together for us. But uh, I appreciate those guys doing that. A lot of feedback, too. People say, hey, Steve, you blew it. You didn't include this song. And sometimes you're absolutely right. Sometimes I will absolutely miss one, an obvious one. Um, and I feel kind of silly later. And other times I'll think, you know what, I've absolutely nailed this one and I won't be talked out of it. But that's a great thing about music. It's fun for us to talk about it. And I'm so glad that you guys dig the top 10 list. And thanks our friends at CloseWithBlair.com uh, for sponsoring this segment of the show. All right, let's look around the SEC, courtesy of Campus Bookmart. Big news to stand a man retiring. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I like Stan Ray, man. He's a good dude. I hate that I won't be able to see him around. He's still going to be in town. He's not retiring to Florida or anything or moving to Hawaii or anything like that. Stan's going to still be here, still be at the left field lounge. Uh, but, yeah, if you get a chance to go by there, maybe thank Stan for his great service uh, to Campus Bookmart and to the Mississippi State family for many, many years. I mean, he is an outstanding guy, outstanding person, an outstanding retailer, and uh, we will surely miss him. And I wish him the best in retirement. He's not going to go away, though, he tells me. I, we had a chance to speak on Saturday. He's still going to do some working. But, uh, you know, it's just going to be kind of on his own terms now. But uh, kind of helping with the mom and pop shop. But, uh, you know, Campus Bookmart, a Stark Villigan institution, and Stan and Man's a big part of that. So maybe in Stan's honor, maybe order yourself a Stan the Man retirement gift. He's retiring. You get the gift. That, doesn't that sound great? You know, yeah. So – Go to campusbookmart.net today. Order yourself some new Mississippi State merch. You'll be glad you did. You can get my books there, too. Uh, many of them are already signed. So if you're looking for signed copies and you're already going to go buy, like, some new merch, you can pick up the books there. 
and uh, we'll have some more book signings uh, sooner rather than later uh, out there at Campus Bookmart. But uh, go to campusbookmart.net and use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over $50. Any order less than 50 ducks, 50 bucks, 50 ducks, goodness. They won't take ducks as a form of currency at Campus Bookmart, no matter how redneck you are. Any order less than 50 bucks, you got to pay shipping. You use that nice promo code BSR, you get free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks or ducks. All right, uh, busy night in the SEC last night. Some surprising results in some respects, but uh, interesting night to say the least. But uh, Louisville, 4-2 winners over Kentucky. That's pretty much expected. Louisville's ranked 16th in the country and will certainly be a hosting destination. Uh, Florida comes from behind to beat Stetson 10-8. It's Stetson, a really solid mid-major program down there that kind of gets after Florida and Florida State. Clemson goes into Athens, Georgia, and beats those guys 8-4. to four. You know, Georgia down to 14th. You know, we, we, we went and played those guys. Hey, these guys are pretty good. I didn't think they were an um, you know, elite team, I guess you could say. But I said, you know, these, these guys are pretty good. And, and in hindsight, maybe that, uh, that series loss won't look as bad as it felt. But, uh, you know, they have not really – they've lost now 3-4, of four, losing last night to Clemson 8-4. to four. Got absolutely shelled. On Sunday, Saturday, 23 to 9 by Texas A&M. So, again, they've lost three or four, kind of reeling a little bit as they get ready to head to Alabama. We're going to preview that whole weekend stuff, uh, you know, on, on Friday's show. But uh, not a great loss. Uh, Bellarmine goes in there and competes with Tennessee. Tennessee beats them 9 to 3. And, uh, you know, of course, you don't expect Bellarmine to win this ball game. But uh, Tennessee is rather interesting. You know, they're, they're going to get everybody's best shot. But it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Texas A&M with a big top 25 win last night. They absolutely hammered Dallas Baptist 14-1. Missouri State makes it a ball game. Missouri guts it out for a 6-5 win last night. Of course, your Bulldogs 17-2 winners over Jackson State. Vanderbilt 7-0 winners over Tennessee Tech. And, of course, Tech beat Tennessee last week. And even though it was a wooden bad game, you know, Tim Corbin's like, hey, you guys you know, kind of let your guard down at your own demise here because uh, these guys beat Tennessee last week. So they're not going to be scared of you. Auburn really struggled with Alabama State last night. And, um, you know, we've been there before sometimes, too. You get in the midweek game and you don't get the big lead early, and the next thing you know, you're having to kind of scratch this thing out. Guys, it was a 3-2 ball game in the fifth inning, and then Alabama State puts up four runs in the sixth. It is then a 5-4 ball game after six. Auburn has to score in the bottom of the ninth to force extra innings. And then they win it in the tent. So not great, not great. Uh, but again, a W is a W. But uh, you'd, you'd expect to play a little bit better. And that's what happens. You let some of these teams hang around. They start believing a little bit and say, "Hey, you know, we can play with these guys." And then in the back of mind, you're thinking, Look, "Can we get out of here with a win? These guys can play with us." UAB goes into Tuscaloosa. Told you guys last week we beat UAB. That was a quality win for us. And I know they're still kind of middle of the pack in Coosa. Uh, Casey, Casey Dunn's going to have that team playing well. They're going to be a couple years from now. If we play those guys in the midweek, we're, we're going to be kind of sweating it out like Auburn did Alabama State. And that's in no way a slight to Alabama State, which is going to be one of these games you're going to have to scratch and claw to win. But UAB goes into Tuscaloosa to get a dub last night. Very big win for them, to say the least. But, uh, it, listen, Alabama jumps out to a 3-0 lead, and UA beats up, puts up four in the fourth. 
And then Alabama ties in the bottom half, so it's a 4-4 ball game heading to the fifth. Alabama takes the lead finally, and then UAB takes it right back in the sixth. Yes, and all of a sudden, it's a 6-5 ball game in favor of UAB. Bama then ties it in the seventh. UAB takes a one-run lead in the eighth and then survives the ninth to win it 7-6. Really good effort there. Really good effort. And, and good win for UAB. Really is. And this, is a, this UAB team is scrapping. They really, really are. Uh, they could be a regional wrecker. And I'm not saying they can win a regional, but they're the kind of team that will go in there and beat somebody and force you to get deep in your bullpen and then you end up in a loser's bracket game, and you lose. That's a big part of this thing. You know, it's about – it's a journey. It's never just one snapshot. Uh, LSU, 8-4 winners over Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns down there. Never sure what to make of, uh, of the LSU Tigers. I just, you know, one week to the next, you just don't know. But uh, they win last night, and you know we, we you know we really need those guys to help us out a little bit too. But we don't need them to do too well. But we need them to kind of make sure that nobody around us uh, sweeps. And we need them to probably you know, look at the schedule and start thinking about them and some other teams around us in the West. We need LSU to kind of run some interference for us a little bit. We're going to be similarly situated with a lot of team, a lot of parity in the league this year. Uh, Arkansas State, the Fighting Tommy Raffos, falls short in Fayetteville, ten to one. Arkansas might be playing their best baseball of the year right now. They're really, really playing well. Really playing well. And that's not, again, not to say that the Red Wolves, you know, aren't a you know, well-coached program. But Arkansas ranked fourth in the country right now. And we, at the beginning of the year, we thought maybe they lost too much. But then you get you work the portal, you get some guys in, you have some guys come to school you weren't expecting. Arkansas is right back in the thick of things. It's kind of scary. It's kind of good to have that behind us, right? And then, uh, so then all of a sudden we look at uh, Ole Miss. Wow. 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 13-3 losers to SEMO. Now, you never want to lose this game, but it's not like this is uh, Wesley College, okay? SEMO, team that made a regional last year, returned a lot of guys, and they jumped on Ole Miss last night and never let them up, and Ole Miss had to throw a bunch of arms. But rest assured, nobody pitched long enough to hurt themselves. Uh, the long, Kimbrell's the only guy that went two innings. Everybody else is like an inning or less. So there's nobody out there that, uh, you know, is going to be unavailable this weekend if they need him. But it turned into a Johnny Holstaff day, and it was nearly a historic event. We were kind of scrambling, kind of talking among ourselves, trying to see when's the last time that an SEC school got 10-run ruled in their own stadium. And, I, and you know, outside of maybe when we played the SEC tournaments on campus, I would venture to say this is probably – rarely if never happened it's pretty remarkable to think about that because like you know you kind of agree ahead of time about okay we're gonna have a 10-run rule but it's usually for the visitor so the visitor doesn't have to eat up arms in a losing effort right you start losing a ball game it's kind of a gentleman's agreement it's kind of a courtesy you never thought in a million years when Ole Miss and SEMO agreed to that in pregame we'll have a 10-run rule that it would be Ole Miss trying to have to fight through this thing and prevent being 10-run rolled at home, which is a uh, pretty remarkable situation. So, SEMO jumps out to a 3-0 lead, and then in the third, they tack on to make it 5-0 after four, after midway through the fourth. It is a 6-0 lead for the Red Hawks. Ole Miss finally gets on the board, and SEMO's like, ah, don't even think about getting up. They hang a three spot in the fifth. This game is over. Now it's just a matter of Ole Miss, Ole Miss going to be 10-run ruled. They put one on in the sixth. 
Ole Miss holds them off the field in seven. And then in the eighth inning, it is now 11 to, 11, 11 to 1. And Ole Miss needs to score to prevent being 10 run ruled at Oxford University Stadium. They do. They get a solo home run from Taiwan Malone that makes it an 11 2 ball game. So you now, you know, you're going to go to full nine. And then Simo's like, well, we're going to answer that with two more runs of our own. Makes it a 13 13 to 2 ball game. And then Ole Miss hits another home run, a pinch hit home run in the ninth. So they lose 13 to 3. So you don't have the, you know, the dubious distinction of being 10 run ruled in your own ballpark. You still got beat by 10. That's happened to us too. But not against Southeast Missouri State. And uh, again, SEMO is a team that. Um, will likely make a regional. They've been outstanding this year. Uh, you know, but uh, not good. Not good if you're Mike Bianco at all. And you start looking through these numbers here, too. Uh, Ole Miss scored the three runs, had ten hits, also made three errors. Just not making plays behind them. But uh, look look at the numbers here. You know, Johnny Bench is uh, not nephew. You know, his fake nephew, Justin Bench. Remember that? Remember that story? When they tried to say it was Johnny Bench's son, and technically I guess they're correct, it's John Bench, no relation to the Hall of Fame catcher, Johnny Bench. Two hits. The only Rebel in the lineup to get more than, than a hit. So not a great night offensively. Tim Elko goes 0 for 3. Kevin Graham goes 0 for 4. Uh, McCants had a hit late. But the uh, reality of it is, as I said earlier in the show, uh, these guys are going to come out ready to go. They're not going to go out there and lay down for Mississippi State. Anybody that thinks that is it's just deluding themselves. There is no way that Ole Miss is going to come out and say, well, you know, it's kind of been a tough year. I mean, these guys are fighting for their lives. Let's take a quick look at the uh, SEC standings. Not a lot has changed. Obviously, we haven't played an SEC game. But uh, let's talk a little bit about kind of where things stand as we get ready to prepare for the weekend. You know, there's some teams out there that, you know, have a chance to make a move because there is just – there's a log jam kind of behind Tennessee and Arkansas. There's like Tennessee is like way ahead of it. Like Tennessee is like Molly Crew, and then Arkansas is like Guns N' Roses, and then everybody else is kind of Glass Tiger. And then there are a few people at the end that are like new kids on the block, uh, at least dressed that way. But, you know, ten, outside of Tennessee and Arkansas, it's, it's really kind of bunched up there. So Georgia's 9-6. In the conference, 26-11 overall. But you, with Jackson Cannon, with Jonathan Cannon, what's going to happen there? Vanderbilt seven and eight in the league, 26 and 10 overall. Florida right there at six and nine. South Carolina six and nine. Missouri five and ten. Kentucky five and ten. And so there are three teams in the league that are five and ten. One of them is named Ole Miss. What's interesting too, we you know, beginning of the year everybody has a big non-conference jump. You're like, hey, look at this. I don't know if you guys know this. Maybe you hadn't paid attention. Because, you know, Ole Miss was trolling us early in the year. We're losing ballgames. Like, oh, it couldn't be us. Couldn't be us. Even the official account out there is trolling Mississippi State people. Well, we've saved all that, and we're hoping we get to use it this weekend. We're hopeful. We're hopeful we are. But you may recall, beginning of the year, you know, Ole Miss just starts out in this just absolutely incredible start. You know, they lose the one game to Central Florida. But uh, they, they begin the year with 13-2, and two, something like that. And uh, rise to number one in the country, and they have lost 8 of 11 since then. And maybe you hadn't been paying attention to the standings, but your current records, 
Mississippi State 22 and 16, and we think we're having a bad year. We really do, because we are. Ole Miss now 21 and 15. So Mississippi State has now surpassed Ole Miss and wins. We expect that, but Ole Miss was expected to be an Omaha team this year. So now State is a game ahead of them in the win. And we're behind – we've played two more games, but uh, 22 and 16. So, again, Ole Miss gets out to the big 13 and 2 start. And since that time, it has been really, really rough. The 13 and 2 start, and now they're 8, what, 8 and 13 since then? So we're catching them at a good time. And we're going to preview them after this next segment of the show, after our brought to you by our friends at, uh, at Portico. But uh, before we move on, I just think it's important to look at the league right now and understand that there are a lot of teams in here. You see, we go have a good weekend this weekend, and then a good weekend in Missouri. All of a sudden, we're right back in the thick of things. It's important. It's, you got to keep playing games. Auburn right now is 8-7. and seven. We beat them last weekend. They are in a three-way tie for second in the West with Auburn – Alabama, who we also beat, and then Texas A&M, who we're still to play. LSU is a game ahead of us, and that's the thing you think about, man, if we just won one of those games. So we are right there in the middle of all of that. We could end up finishing top half in this league despite the fact that we've had all this adversity. So there's still a lot to play for. And it's not just about bragging rights. It's not just about hanging another banner or putting another graphic on the, the, the wall at Dirty Noble Field. You know, we've gotten a little spoiled at Mississippi State. We expect to go. We expect to go to Omaha. We have kind of, in the last decade, we have been to Omaha more times than not. And so we're beginning to kind of think to ourselves, hey, we just need to get in a regional somewhere because we're beginning to figure some things out. We're beginning to, to figure the pitching rotation out. We're still starting to you know, kind of work through this bullpen thing. And, you know, we're trying some other arms. We're trying to piece this thing together. And that's really kind of the last piece to fall into place. You feel good about your starting rotation. You're beginning to feel good about your defensive lineup, even though there, there's some times we've got to play better. But this is an offense that has a real chance to, uh, to put some runs on the board. So if you're Mississippi State, I mean, let's just take the emotion out of this, right, when we begin to look at you know, Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Because you know, like, you know, the, the fear of losing to them sometimes exceeds the joy of winning. Because we're rivals. That's part of it. But this is a team that's very talented. They're just not playing well. Now, I think it's important to kind of look back here. You know, if we were on the other end of this, and if you go read the Ole Miss message boards, and I have, it's, that's like when they lose a big ball game, I go put on a pot of coffee. But um, when you look at what they have done in recent weeks, you ought to have a little bit of confidence. If the shoe was on the other foot, we would be predicting a sweep. So, you know what? Those guys are going to sweep us. They're better than us. And we're not, we're not setting the woods on fire, but we're playing better than them. But, again, sometimes all you need your rival to show up. And, um, you know, you have an opportunity at this point to, uh, to kind of turn the season around. But when Ole Miss beat Memphis, they were 16-4 and four and ranked number one in the country. 16-4. and four. I'm going to write that down. And then they get swept by Tennessee. They beat North Alabama. They take two of three from Kentucky. They lose to Southern Miss in a midweek game. They get swept by Alabama. They beat Murray State. They lose two out of three to South Carolina. And then they lose to Southeast Missouri State. You know what the record is now? It's 21-15. and 15. So you can do the math on that. They have won five games since Memphis. They've lost 11. So they've lost 11 of 16. It's right for them to be concerned. Because it seems like we're starting to figure some things out and they're starting to have a lot of things go wrong. They've got some injuries too. 
That's baseball, unfortunately. Sadly, it is. I hear some talk out there, maybe some changes in the way the college baseball schedule works to try to preserve some arms because of the fact that uh, it's becoming a little more commonplace. We want guys to come to school. A lot of innings you got to cover, man. But this is an Ole Miss team that is not playing exceptionally well. They know it. We know it. And there are some some of our fans are thinking, well, I'm sure they'll turn it around this weekend when we get there. You know, they may, but I'm not going to live life thinking that way. I'm not going to sit here and think, well, this is an Ole Miss team that, you know, yeah, that they really haven't beat anybody of note as of late. And I, and I think when you really go back and you look at their schedule, it's really been kind of smoke and mirrors in many respects. You know, you go back to Charleston Southern, they sweep those guys, and then they tweet out that silly graphic. I don't know if you guys have kept up at all. Maybe you hadn't. Let's, let's do this research together while we're here together. This is lifetime research here, right? You, you, guys, you guys down for that? Let's take a quick look at this, this Ole Miss schedule. You know, Charleston Southern, you know, the baseball power out there. Maybe you've kept up with those guys. Maybe, maybe you know those guys a little better than I do. I haven't kept up with them. But just so you guys know, Charleston Southern, you know, the, the great power that, that inspired that stupid tweet. They're 14 and 22. 14 and 22 on the year. You say, oh, but Steve, we swept them. Yeah, you did. You did. You did. Arkansas State, I mean, I love Tommy Raffo to death, but, you know, that they haven't been great. They, they haven't been. Uh, they take a couple of midweek games against Virginia Commonwealth. Remember, those guys were here last year. They came in here, and some of our people are all worried about the Rams because they had the nation's longest winning streak when they came in. And the guy said, I'm going to beat us too. They didn't. They didn't. But, uh, you know, VCU, you know, you, you expect those guys, you know, with all the pieces to come back, they're going to be strong again to 20 and 15. 20 and 15. Five and four in their conference. Not great. Not great. Central Florida, I mean, that's yeah, a solid mid-major program. You know, Oral Roberts had won a game against Ole Miss, and then you get into conference play. And so my, kind of my point is, is that, you know, there was a lot of false confidence and a lot of false bravado that was kind of involved in all of this early scheduling stuff. It's like, hey, well, let's go schedule these guys, and, you know, we'll put up some numbers and, you know, get some confidence and kind of get everybody rolling. And listen, I don't, I don't blame Mike Bianco for, especially when you know you've got some pitching issues. Let's get some guys some innings. Let's, let's get them some winnable games to get them some conference before we get into league play. I get it. But the perception of this old Miss team was completely wrong. And that's one of the things I said in the beginning. I, I really felt like Ole Miss would be better than they are today. I'd love to sit here and tell you that I told you so. I did say I didn't get all the Ole Miss hype because they didn't have any pitching. But I did think that they were good enough offensively that once they got into Sunday games and everybody else kind of ran out of pitching, that they would be able to take full advantage. They have not been able to do that. In, in case you hadn't paid attention, you know, they, they are really, really struggling on Sundays. Have lost three of the last four Sundays. So game three, that's a game I think you look at and you say, you know what, we got to find a way to win that game. We got Cade Smith going that day. So we got to have a little confidence. But uh, this is, again, we're going to preview all Miss here in the final segment of the show. But I think when you look at where they are and kind of wh- where things are trending, I think if you're Mississippi State, you got to have a little confidence. You got to go over there and bring your best effort. But at the same time, too, I don't think there's anything to be scared of. All right, let's take a more in-depth look at the Ole Miss Rebels. This segment of the show brought to you by Portico. You know, my friend Brooks Bryan, he's another guy that knows about beating Ole Miss. Kind of made a habit of it, didn't we, Brooks? You know, uh, Bulldogs have always been good at baseball. And uh, there was a time there, you know, when they had a little bit of a window. And then um, 
we got serious about baseball again, and that ended. And so you're, what you're seeing now is kind of the rightful order of things. Brooks Bryan, part of a couple of Omaha teams, and uh, now part of a great group that's bringing this wonderful residential development to the greater Starkville area, Portico. I've shared with you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I'd move. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. If your real estate agent is not talking to you about Portico, you need to ask. Hey, I've heard so many great things about Portico. The newest construction, very conveniently located to all things Bulldog, but close enough to campus for convenience, but far enough away to have a little privacy. You're on the quiet side of campus. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and anything in between. The reality of it is, is because phase one is completely sold out, you've already got neighbors there that are enjoying the Portico life. You can have some say in your house plan of picking out your lot in phase two right now. That's all under development. Reach out to Brooks. He can put you in touch with the folks that make those decisions for you. You kind of get things rolling. Uh, the best part about it is, is I love Starkville. Absolutely love being here. You will love it too. It's not just, you know, it's not just ball game excitement. It's just good quality of life stuff here. I love being here. I think you will too. A lot of great places to eat. The value system is tremendous here. A lot of great churches around here. A lot of people, too, that uh, just kind of love being here. And if you're an artsy person, there's, there's artsy people here, too. It's kind of what, whatever you want right here in Starkville, you know, the great city of Starkville. Uh, become a Starkvillean today. Reach out to Brooks. Let me give you, let me give you Brooks's number. It is 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move okay let's take a closer look at the Ole Miss Rebels and again we, we kind of touch on some of the schedule stuff I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this but you know, they open the year they open the year with a sweep of Charleston Southern they get by Arkansas State it's a 10-run roll game in five they take a pair from VCU then they get to pair from UL Monroe then they finally lose the ball game to their credit uh, on the road at Central Florida they do take two of three down there they, the one loss they had was a one nothing ball game in 12 innings Alcorn State, they beat those guys in seven. A lot of shorter games because they were swinging the bats really well early in the year. They get the first two from uh, Oral Roberts, the first one, a 16-2 win, and then they have a pair of sevens on Sunday, and then Ole Miss loses the second one. So the, the game three there. Game three pitching has been a real adventure for those guys. Uh, they take down – excuse me, southeastern Louisiana takes them down down in Hammond. <clears throat> and that's when people really kind of say, you know, is this Ole Miss team really that good? Is the midweek games really matter? Well, of course they do. You don't think they matter? Keep losing them. Uh, then they go to Auburn, and they win two of three down there, and it was incredible how this series went. Ole Miss wins game 113-6 and loses 19-5, bounces back to win 15-2. We beat Auburn, too. We beat Auburn, too. And I think we look at the schedule – uh, you know, that's probably the one thing we have in common. We have two opponents in common at this point in conference play. We beat them both. All right, so after the Auburn series, they beat Memphis 11-8, 11-8. Then they get swept by Tennessee. It was a surprise to really nobody. I, I, well, I thought Tennessee would take the series two games to one. I didn't expect them to get the sweep they do. And the Sunday pitching actually pretty decent, but they lose the ball game 4-3. Again, not winning game threes very often. Uh, North Alabama – they beat those guys in 7-20-3. You'd expect that. We have those guys here in a few weeks. They go to Kentucky. Pretty good job here, I guess you could say. But Kentucky could have taken the series. Ole Miss wins the pitching do, uh, pitching matchup on Friday night, the duel there. 2-1 winners uh, against Kentucky in Lexington. Really Was really pulling hard for the Wildcats. The Wildcats come back and win 9-2. And then on Sunday, 
Kentucky runs out of pitching, and Ole Miss wins that game 10-1. They lose a midweek game to Southern Miss, and then they're swept by Alabama, 7-4, 12-10, and again on Sunday, game 3-7-3. Murray State, there's winners there, and then they lose two out of three to South Carolina. They win the Friday game 9-1, lose 4-2, then lose 9-8. So this is a team, when you, if you can get a split on Friday and Saturday, you feel pretty good about your opportunities uh, there on Sundays. So let's get a little look inside the numbers here. This is an Ole Miss team, too, that uh, – you know, I mean, I think there's nobody out there that would say this is not a talented team. They're not playing up to their ability. And that scares you a little bit, I guess, because you say, you know what, at some point they're going to get it together. But what happens with the weight of expectations? You know, when you always think – when you're constantly told how good you are and then you don't go out there and perform on the field, when, when does that become, you know, a mental issue for you? All right, let's look at the, the hitting aspect of it. Tim Elko. You know, probably good for the college game for him to come back. He's having a really good year for those guys. He's hitting 320. He's got 15 dingers and 47 RBIs. But you know what? You can pitch around him, and your chances are you probably should. One of the things I like about Tim Elko is you see the bigger guy, you think, well, he's just muscling balls out. That's not true. He can do that, but he's so much better than that. The thing that I like about Tim Elko, especially being a bigger guy, is he's short to the baseball. He is short to the baseball. How many times do you see the big, strong guy that has the big, long swing, gets his hands out away from his body, and just tries to club everything? Tim Elko is a professional hitter. He really is. And at his age, you kind of wonder, you know, where he ends up and how quickly they move him through the minors. But this is a guy that can barrel a fastball up. You got to get him swinging on breaking stuff. You got to be able to have good spin rate. You you can't get in predictable counts because Elko can make you hurt. And that's the thing, too, when you look at what State did to Sonny Deshara last weekend – We'll have a good game plan, but you got to make sure you don't have people on base in front of him. Because if he does hit a home run out there, and he's certainly capable of hitting them, he's got 15, uh, that you got to make sure it's a solo home run. Also has a couple of stolen bases this year. How about that? Uh, not a lot of ground in a double play is either with him. A lot of bigger guys, too, try to overswing, and you know somebody gets a slider under a barrel. But um, he's also a guy, too, that has some swing and miss. 43 Ks on the, on the year, which is far and away the most on the team. And you expect that with power hitters, right? It's just kind of part of it. Kind of how it was in the 80s. You had a lot of guys out there hitting 30, 40 home runs, striking out 100 times a year. Okay, Kemp Alderman uh, is a guy hitting 306 for them. He has started 29 games for them. Five dingers, 17 RBIs. One for one in stolen bases. But, uh, you know, guys done a pretty good job getting on base right at 400 on base percentage. And just 25 punches in uh, 98 at-bats. Uh, Justin Bench, the aforementioned Justin Bench, no relation to Johnny Bench, hitting 301, having his best year in a uniform in many respects, started all 36 games, one home run this year and 26 RBI. And I would venture to say, too, I mean, and again, all due respect to Justin, you know, John's son, um, I don't know that he could have ever lived up to kind of the hype that some of those people placed upon him. A lot of that was artificial. Guy's a good college baseball player. He is. He is a good college baseball player. Four of nine in stolen base attempts, though. Not exactly the best there. T.J. McCants, another guy, great athlete. They weren't. They thought he was a shortstop. They made him a center fielder. You know, just couldn't handle. You know, the grind of the SEC infield. But he's a guy that's been okay. You know, I think that he's a guy too that is probably, probably projects better as a pro ball player than he does a college guy. I think that he's a guy. He just needs at bats. He needs to get into the minor league somewhere. Uh, has started all 32 games this year, just 99 at-bats. They've got him down in the order some, just 28 hits on the year, three doubles, 
does have five home runs to his credit. So he is a guy that can hurt you a little bit. You can't get loose and fast with a fastball. He's a good fastball hitter. He's a guy that struggles a time with, uh, you know, with the off speeds. You got to make him pay for that. Seven of ten in stolen bases. Uh, Jacob Gonzalez, to be honest with you, I think he's Ole Miss's best player, even though I don't think that he is playing up to his potential. This is a guy that has first-round ability. And, you know, sometimes it's a culture thing. You know, sometimes you have these guys and they get up there and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, hey, you're this, you're that, and whatever. And some guys can't handle all the accolades. But uh, Gonzalez is a guy that can absolutely swing it. I think he's a first-rounder. I don't know that he goes in the first round, but I think whoever gets him gets a first-round talent. Is he a shortstop on the next level? Is he a third baseman? I don't know. But I do think that he is a he's, – he's a pro baseball player. There's no doubt about it. He's hitting just 278 though, and uh, that's down a little bit from what expectations were. But uh, 42 runs scored on the year, which is a team high. He is a guy, once he gets on base, he finds a way to get around. And some of that, too, you benefit from hitting in front of Tim Elko. But 35 hits on the year, eight doubles – which is a second on the team only to Justin Bench, a couple triples and 11 home home runs. So double-digit home run guy there uh, for them. They've hit 51 as a team. 26 of them come from Elko and Gonzalez. 31 RBI on the year for him, too. Again, good player. Really, really good player. Hayden Leatherwood, this is a guy that's been up and down, in and out of lineup, uh, hitting 275. Got 23 starts. I'm sure we'll see him at some point. You know, he plays one of those outfield spots. Just kind of depends. You know, they've – Kind of tried to find some continuity out there. 22 hits for him, three doubles, a triple, and uh, three dingers, and just 13 ribbies on the year. Again, a guy last year, there was a lot of talk about him. He just hadn't made the jump that they'd hoped for. Uh, Reagan Burford has kind of been an error machine for them. He has just simply not made the plays. He has started some in place of uh, Peyton Chatagnier at times. Um it's just interesting to kind of see this dynamic come together, but he's hitting 270, 100 at bats on the year, 27 hits, uh, four doubles, excuse me, eight doubles, and uh, three home runs, just 19 RBI. But as a guy that hadn't really played exceptionally well defensively, Chatney, as another guy too, has played a lot, but he's also missed a handful of games too. You know, I know that the other day he didn't start. They were trying to give him a chance to uh, to kind of rest and watch, put him in a ball game, and he grounds into a big double play. Uh, out at South Carolina that ultimately that kind of cost them a big inning there. But 122 at-bats is among the team leaders. Uh, 26 runs scored, 28 hits, four doubles, two triples, five home runs for him, uh, 26 RBIs. A guy that plays pretty well in their park. But, uh, again, 230, not what you expected from him. And, again, striking out way too much, 31 Ks, which is second on the team. That's a lot. Hayden Dunhurst. Another guy that I think is uh, probably going to be a guy that makes a big league someday, but offensively he has not been anywhere close to what they need him to be, and he's been banged up. He hurt his shoulder sliding in the second on a double at South Carolina. Uh, Read Mike Bianco's comments last night. They're going to try to get him ready. Doesn't know if he starts this weekend. Maybe he DHs. Maybe he's a pinch hitter. But he's not 100%. He's one of the best catchers in college baseball. I'm talking about Hayden Dunhurst. He's hitting two twenty two. And uh, he's missed nine games. And, of course, some of that, too, is, you know, in midweek sometimes that you'll play, you know, your backup catcher there. But, um, you know, Dunhurst is a guy, he's got to get it going. And he is a guy that is very, very good at holding runners. It's very difficult to steal bases against him. And now you've got that jam shoulder you're dealing with. And so, again, he's less than 100%. But, you know, a guy that's hitting about 220, you know, you, you begin to look at this and say, you know what, maybe he hurt himself by coming back to school. I believe he was draft eligible last year. But 222, and, and is a catcher at a premium position, I do think that he is a guy that is an early-round talent. And, I, and 
you probably could have convinced me last year he could have been a first-rounder because of the position that he plays. And, again, very good defensive catcher. And so when you don't have him in there, you're playing a guy that's not nearly as talented back there behind the plate. And, again, three home runs, just 15 ribbies for him this year. Uh, Taiwan Malone is the guy that hit the big tank last night. He's the guy that uh, has kind of served as a pinch hitter. But, uh, you know, we'll probably see more of him. He's not participating in football practice and spring practice, and so he's appeared in nine games, all of them as a reserve relief guy. Calvin Harris is a guy that has been a decent guy for him, too. Uh, has played some, played last night in the ball game against uh, Southeast Missouri State, hitting 386, but just 15 starts to his credit, 57 at bats, uh, 22 hits, four doubles, a triple, and a home run. Uh, Kevin Graham is a guy that has been hurt, and they have finally kind of gotten him back. He had a tough night last night at the plate, but uh, 18 starts for him. But, uh, you know, again, a guy that can hurt you a little bit, you know, five home runs for him, too. He's another guy, too. Not, a, not an elite defender, but you need his bat in the lineup. Hudson Saps, a guy to hit a pinch hit home run last night. You know, Ben Van Cleve, a former starter for them, has only started nine games this year. You know, not, not exactly sure what's happened there, you know. Uh, but the reality of it is is that, uh, you know, he has not been the guy. He was a, he was a strikeout machine last year. That's one of the things you looked at and felt like he was a guy that, uh, you know, was really going to struggle uh, against – you know, SEC breaking balls. But uh, this is a team that has walked 168 times. They've walked 141 hitters. But uh, as a team, they're hitting 283. Opponents are only hitting 250 against them. But uh, not probably the offensive numbers that you had hoped as a team. You've got a few guys out there, of course, that are standing out with Gonzalez and Elko. And you expect those guys too. But it's the supporting cast, you know, that hadn't really handled their end of things. But, uh, you know, again, a team – that is capable of hurting you 61 home runs, which uh, that, that's not a number to, to, uh, to slouch about in any, any, any respect. But um, it's piecing it all together. Piecing it all together has been difficult for them. They're, they're struggling. There is no doubt about it. They are struggling as a team. Uh, let's take a look at the pitching. And that's really been one of the bigger issues with them this year, too. We knew that it would be. We knew that pitching would be a real challenge for these guys. And um, – I know John Gaddis is one that's on the shelf a little bit. They had some high hopes for him. That hadn't really worked out. But, uh, you know, Dylan DeLucia is a guy that, um, you know, they're, they're pretty high on out there. He's 11, 11 appearances this year, the two starts, and he's 2-0 and in those starts. Uh, good chance we're going to see him. I don't think there's any question we're going to see him. Um, Jack Washburn, that's the Oregon State transfer that uh, some people are already ready to give the Golden Spikes Award to. Ten appearances, nine starts. He has a four and two record, an ERA of three thirty four. Allowed twenty seven hits, seventeen runs. Twelve of those earned thirty five Ks against nineteen walks. So he's you know he's right there two for one. You'd like for that to be a little bit better. Uh, I tell you, I got I watched one of those Tennessee games and they put uh, Hunter Elliott in and let him kind of mop up. And I was very impressed with him. I really I really was. I know that uh, his numbers have not been outstanding. He's had uh, you know eleven appearances, three starts. He's one and three on the year. But uh, I thought he pitched pretty well. And it's one of those things, too, you look at, you know, when, when the game has been decided, it's easy to go pound the zone because you don't have high-stress innings. But uh, he's a guy, I think there could be some things you look at down the road, and you probably feel pretty good and say, hey, this is a guy that can probably help us. Uh, I mentioned John Gaddis earlier. He's already had six starts on the year. Derek Diamond, he was a guy that missed a lot of time with some back issues, and he has just not found it. He has just simply not found it. Eight starts on the year, three and three record with a 6.02 ERA. He's allowed 39 hits, which is right out of hit per inning. And that's kind of how you get beat. You know, when you're giving up a hit per inning and you're walking people, 
Uh, the good thing for him is he hadn't walked too many, 39 Ks against nine walks. But but he is a guy that is hittable. Opponents are hitting 241 against him. Uh, Jack Doherty was a guy that has been so incredibly hyped to the point that it was unfair to Jack. I mean, I don't, I don't know Jack Doherty. I don't know his family. But people had made such this, this cult following about him, and he has not lived up to the expectations. Uh, if we see him this weekend, I think we'll be excited about it, to be honest with you. A 5.79 ERA for him. His uh, eight appearances and three starts, one and one record. Uh, does have one save. He's 23 and a third innings pitch. He's allowed 28 hits, so over a hit per. He's allowed 15 runs, all of them earned. 39 Ks against eight walks, but here's where the rub is. Opponents are hitting 295 against him. 295. That's rough. And so you start running through this thing, you start thinking, okay, well, you know, who can they count on? Well, there's not a lot. Drew McDaniel's the guy that uh, they've started some too. Matter of fact, he was the opener last night. He has 12 appearances, five starts with a 6.04 ERA. It's incredible to think about that too. 32 Ks against 14 walks, allowing over a hit per inning. Uh, 23, uh, 22.1 innings pitch and 23 hits. Has allowed 20 runs, 15 of them earned. 14 walks against 32 Ks. So, you know, as a staff, they're getting some strikeouts, but they're also walking some guys. It sounds similar to us, right? But I actually think our starting pitching is better than theirs, and their bullpen is essentially non-existent. You know, you look at some of these guys that have pitched, it has not been – you know, the innings are kind of spread out because they're searching to find some guys. So, I suspect, of course, that we'll see Derek Diamond, Dylan DeLuce, and Jack Washburn. I think that is pretty much established. You're going to see those guys. John Gaddis is still a bit banged up. Don't know what's going on there. And uh, Hunter Elliott's a guy that we'll likely see too. But, you know, Riley Maddox is a guy that's pitched him in relief for them, and he, he has been largely unaffected. We've got a 4.79 ERA, 13 appearances, a 2-1 and one record, just over 20 innings pitch, and again, another guy getting enough over a hit per inning. Allowed 11 runs, all of them earned 15 Ks against eight walks. Opponents hitting 259 against him. And so this is a, this is a team – that at times struggles with those strikes, but when they are around the plate, they're hittable. You're not getting a ton of swing and miss with this team. And again, some of these numbers that we're talking about were kind of racked up, racked up in, uh, against non-conference opponents. So let's take a quick look, if we can, at kind of how things have gone in the SEC and see who's doing well for them. And I thank Ole Miss for having this information split between conference and non-conference when you choose it. So Josh Mowat's a guy that we beat last year. Uh, opponents hitting 313 against him in conference play. Four appearances, uh, basically two for one in strike-to-walk ratio here, allowing over a hit per. Uh, same thing with Hunter Elliott, allowing over a hit per. And uh, just over 2-1 uh, strikeout-to-walk ratio. But uh, in conference play, you look at the win-losses here, uh, Dylan DeLucia 2-0, and and he is the only guy on this pitching staff in SEC play that has earned more than one victory. And that's, again, it's a team loss. But you now you're 5-10 and 10 in a conference. When you look up and down here, Derek Diamond in SEC play, 0-3, with an ERA of 8.05. Jack Doherty, ERA of 6.37. This ERA is a team in SEC play, 6.58. Opponents are under 5. It's an offensive year this year, and it's a bad year to have bad pitching. As a staff, we talk about allowing more than a hit per. 154 hits and 132 SEC innings. Rather interesting, to say the least. 
and right at two and two for one strikeout to walk ratio. Those numbers are not good numbers. Those are not winning numbers. You know, it's like you look at the record and you say, wow, they're struggling. Then you get inside the numbers here and you realize you're not doing the things it takes to win. You know, you're walking half as many guys as you're striking out. And so if that's the case, there are going to be a lot of innings where you're going to have traffic on the bases. And more times than not, you're going to have a couple runners on each inning. So that's where I think we look at this thing with Ole Miss that um, could be interesting. Quick peek, too, at the hitting here in the an SEC play, just to kind of see how these numbers have worked out here for them. Uh, Tim Elko, actually you know, doing great, actually hitting better than his overall average, 407 in conference play. Outside of that, it dips off. It really, really dips off after that. Uh, Kemp Alderman hitting 278, Leatherwood 263, nobody else above 250. Among the regulars, Jacob Gonzalez sitting just 232 in conference play. Hayden Dunhurst barely above 200. Same thing for T.J. McCants. And then uh, Chatagne and Burford both under 200. So not the best of times. Not great. Let's take a look at some fielding stuff here, too, before we get out of here. Because that's been a real challenge for those guys, too. You know, we haven't, always, we haven't been elite defensively this year either. But, um, you know, we're a team, too, that um, – when we need to, we generally can make a play. And that didn't happen last weekend against Auburn. But, uh, you know, looking at errors on this team, uh, Reagan Burford, the guy we mentioned earlier, he has 10 errors. 10 and 63 chances. Woof. Woof. That is crazy. A guy that's hitting less than 200 in conference play, and he's leading the team in errors with 10. I don't know how that works. Jacob Gonzalez, a guy that I still think is a first-rounder. He's had six. Six errors. Fielding percentage at 946. 112 chances, though. Hayden Dunhurst, five errors this year, too. Peyton Chatagnier with just three. But, you know, it, it's kind of littered up and down the lineup. But when you look at the – got to be strong up the middle. When you don't have middle infielders that can consistently make plays for you, you generally give up more hits than you should. You can't turn double plays. Next thing you know, you're in trouble. That's kind of where we are. And that's why I look at this old Miss thing, too. It's like, you know, I look up and down the order here. It's like you just keep looking for somebody to jump out and say, that guy's having a great year. And with the exception of Tim Elko, who could you say is really having a great year? Gonzalez having a good year, but Elko's having a great year. And the problem is when you, when that's, when you don't have a strong supporting staff, people can get around you. People can get around you. There's no question about it. There's, people will not give Tim Elko – uh, a meaty pitch when they know that, uh, number one, he will he could strike out, but number two, that there's not anybody really behind you to hurt you. But they can get streaky. I mean, they had the ball game against Alabama. They hit six home runs in the ball game and, uh, and lost. And that's what happens. When you're not getting guys on base, you're not able to move runners, you give a bunch of solo home runs, you still win ball games. Solo home runs still count, but uh, you'd like to have uh, some guys on base that are unable to do that. And so, it struck out 16 times in a game against uh, Central Florida. You know, so, again, there is some swing and miss in this lineup. I don't think there's any question about it. But uh, do I expect to win this series? Yes, I do. Do I think we sweep it? No, I don't. I hope we do, but I don't expect it. I do expect to win the series. I think the weight of the series and the weight of the season is probably a bit much for them. And, again, I won't be surprised either way, but I will be disappointed if we don't win the series. I'm going to pick it two games to one. I think State takes the Sunday game. Uh, and probably the Saturday game. And we'll see what happens. You know, this is, again, kind of a free-swinging team. 
you know, when you've got the juice and you're kind of frustrated, you know, talking to people in college baseball circles, there's some, you know, there's, there is apparently, you know, some guys at Ole Miss that have some draftitis. We have dealt with that too. I think in some respects, though, we have kind of put that back. I think we have kind of settled into who we are now. And we have kind of settled our pitching rotation and settled a lineup. And, and so there are more questions about Ole Miss heading into this weekend than there are Mississippi State. And, again, very talented team. If we go out there and get loose and fast and hang some breaking balls, uh, you got some guys in there that can hurt you. But, uh, again, if we throw strikes and don't walk people, and that's easier said than done, right? But we play clean defense. We don't give them much. We're going to win this series. And we could sweep the series, though I'm not expecting it. Not expecting it. Would be thrilled beyond measure. Not just because it's all Miss, but because we got to take a step closer to getting, you know, 14, 15 SEC wins uh, to get into this tournament. I mean, that's kind of where we stand right now is we're counting wins and we'll take them wherever we can get them. You know, 18 ball games left on the season. Three of those are non-conference. One of those, of course, the uh, governor's game against Ole Miss. And so when you start kind of breaking this thing down, we're kind of at a crucial time in the season. You win this series and all of a sudden, you know, now you're 8 and 10. 8 and 10 with a trip to Missouri to go. So you, you have a real chance at this point to finish at 500 in the league. Not to mention, Ole Miss is kind of similarly situated as us as a resume standpoint. So you can put a couple of losses on a team that is kind of at your same stature. That's big. Let's say Ole Miss emerges from this weekend, you know, 6 and 12. Think about that for a second. You're 6 and 12, and you still got trips to LSU and Arkansas to go. I mean, the chances of them finishing above 500, even close to 500, are, are pretty long. And so it's not just about beating Ole Miss. And that always matters to us. But it is about this is the next team on the schedule. And regardless of where they go to school, this is a team that we could put behind us and likely keep behind us in the standings as we kind of move forward. There's a real chance that Ole Miss doesn't make Hoover. And you laugh at that. I mean, you got Missouri, Kentucky. They've already played head-to-head. So where are they going to pick up wins? Uh, You know, Missouri's going to play Ole Miss. And we know from experience, you better not take those cats lightly. You know, we're going to go up there next weekend. But when you start looking at Ole Miss's schedule, I think that makes this weekend all the more desperate for them. I'm not going to get into some in-depth thing about their schedule here, but you know, just real quickly here, just kind of looking at what's left for them. You know, we talk about, you know, you got to play Mississippi State this weekend who is figuring some things out. Then you go to Fayetteville, Arkansas, who has figured things out. Then you host Missouri, who is basically similarly situated as you, then you go to LSU, and then you host A&M to close it out. And A&M trying to get back to Hoover, really in a good spot right now. But, uh, you know, Schlossnagel and those guys aren't going to show them the same respect. And so, I mean, you could conceivably look at this and say, you know what, they could lose every series the rest of the way. I would expect them to beat Missouri, especially playing at home. Toss-up games generally favor the home team. But I don't think anybody expects them to win a series at Arkansas or LSU. You lose this weekend – you think about that for a second. Let, let's say you get three splits out of that, right? Well, that makes you three and six. You know, look at what you've got right now. You've already lost ten games. So right there, no matter what happens in the other two series, you already have a losing record in the conference. So you got to sweep those other two series just to be fourteen and sixteen and to be in the conversation to make the NCAA tournament. That's how big this series is for both teams. It's not just about us. It's about them. We're both struggling, and we're both kind of similarly situated. We talk about that. Our records are virtually identical. And so the winner of this series is going to feel a whole lot better about their prospects, and the loser of this series, you know, might be ready to pack it in. 
and I believe that's going to be them. Remind you, too, if you hadn't done so, go to dogpiledbook.com and order Dogpile. You can get them. We've got some inventory in now. And, uh, again, kind of able to move some things around. Got a little inventory for you guys. And uh, Mother's Day is coming up. Father's Day is coming up. Be thinking ahead. And, and you're going to be feel so much better about yourself. Hey, let me go ahead and take care of this Father's Day gift, a Mother's Day gift, so I don't have to worry about it later. Just go ahead and get it done. Finish the show. Log on to dogpiledbook.com and go help your family kind of you know fill out their collection. Maybe you got Flim Flam and Dog Pile, but you don't have Alpha Dogs or Stark Villains. And if you're unfamiliar with Stark Villains and Alpha Dogs, and you, sh- you should be, but if you're not, it is the story of the State Ole Miss rivalry told from a Mississippi State perspective. In a couple of years, I'm going to come back and write the third book. We'll have a trilogy of great moments in a rivalry between Mississippi State and Ole Miss from a state perspective. Like I interviewed Jackie Sherrill and Ron Polk and Jake Mangum and Mitch Moreland and Don Smith and Sleepy Robinson. And I had them talk about their favorite moments in the rivalry. We'll do that again in a couple of years. But uh, if you're unfamiliar with those books, you want to reach out and get them. Because every other book written about the rivalry is written by some old Miss guy that wears like uh, seersucker shorts and a bow tie. Not me. So be sure and check them out. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it at Amazon.com, BooksAmillion.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and, and great bookstores everywhere. And your local bookstore can order it for you, too. And finally, if you're looking for Stark Villains gear, go to StarkVillains.com. Everybody needs one of those. Chances are your dad listens to the Boneyard, and maybe he's never thought to buy a Stark Villain shirt for himself. Maybe he doesn't fashion himself as a Stark Villain, but deep down in his heart, he is a Stark Villain. Maybe you should surprise him with a Stark Villain shirt for Father's Day. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.